Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers to humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. We're going to be talking about the tragedy in Aurora, Colorado. This tragic situation brings up so many different questions, and any worldview has to be able to describe good answers to the question about why things like this happen. There was this tragedy this week in Aurora, Colorado, where a man named James Holmes killed several people at a Batman movie in Aurora, Colorado. It was a tragic situation, and when we hear of things like this, and it seems all too common these days, we are reminded about the frailty of human life and the evil that is possible in every human being's heart and mind. It is a tragic situation. And before we go any further discussing what happened this week in Aurora, I want to say that we are thinking a lot about all the families of those victims, and we're praying for all those relatives that are dealing with these hard issues right now. And I hope that they will be able to find hope in Jesus Christ through this time of pain and suffering. And if you're listening this morning thinking that you have a similar situation that comes to mind, and pretty much who doesn't, I think you may have heard before that you're either about to encounter a tragedy or in the middle of a tragedy or just coming out of a tragic situation, we're all familiar with pain and suffering. So if you're listening this morning and pain and suffering are heavy on your heart, I want to encourage you that there is great hope for you today in Jesus. No matter what kind of religious perspective someone comes from, even if that religious perspective is religious secular humanism or skepticism or atheism, all those things are religious in the sense that they are worldviews that attempt to answer life's biggest questions. And all of those worldviews, just like religious worldviews, must address the issue of pain and suffering. I wanted to start by discussing the problem for the skeptic when it comes to this kind of situation. Oftentimes, the critic or the skeptic levels an accusation against the Christian saying, if God is all good and all powerful, then why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? And it's a valid question. I don't want to try and wiggle out of that question by simply saying, oh, you can't accuse us of that. No, we have to answer good answers to that question just like anybody else does. I do want to mention, though, right here at the start, that the critic himself cannot get out of answering that question. The critic must deal with this question just as much as anyone else. And no matter who you are listening this morning, you have to deal with this question as well. This is one of those existential questions. We all have to deal with this when we think about what our worldview perspective on the universe is. Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil in this world? If you cannot answer that, then you need to have a worldview re-examination where you come up with good answers to that question. So as we think about James Holmes and this tragedy that he perpetrated this week in Aurora, Colorado, the atheist has to come up with an answer for the existence of evil in the first place. Because in the atheist's mind, there's no such thing as evil. Everything is nothing more than natural. And we all know that this is not just 
natural. We all know that this was tragic, that the, that this was terrible, that there was something dreadfully wrong with what happened in this situation. We cannot just simply say, oh, this was just natural. No big deal. It's as natural as a cow eating grass. But when you come to a secular worldview on life, a secular perspective on life, this really is nothing but the natural outworking of atoms and molecules colliding with each other. If your perspective is one of naturalism, and we've discussed often on this show how naturalism is philosophically and scientifically unsustainable, but if your perspective is naturalism, then you have to admit that pain, suffering, and evil are nothing but an illusion. They really are no different than any other chemical reaction or any other physical interaction of objects that occur on this planet and in this universe. We all know that's wrong. Once I was in a debate with an atheist, with a few atheists, and while we were debating, this gentleman tried to assert that pain and suffering and evil are really illusion, that there is no objective moral law, because again, the atheist and the skeptic have to conclude that there is no objective moral law, even though they say it's good to be moral and to act in a good way, they don't have an objective standard for those actions. And this man said just that, that there are no objective standards for his actions, and that even though we might not like some of these bad things, we cannot say that they are morally wrong. I asked him, if that is the case, would it be okay for me to shove a large knife through your stomach? He replied, and this is as honest as I've ever heard a skeptic reply to this question, he replied, it would be unpleasant, but I cannot say that it would be wrong. That's the honest analysis of the problem of pain and evil from the secular perspective. So the secular perspective, the naturalistic perspective, has no answer when it comes to the problem of pain, when it comes to tragedy, when it comes to evil. And if every one of us are free to do whatever we want to do, and if all that we want to do is nothing more than the product of the natural chemical reactions happening inside our minds and bodies, then who are you to say that whatever James Holmes came to do is wrong? So the skeptic has no platform to criticize James Holmes for this action. He has no way to say that murdering all these people out of cold blood is wrong. We all know that it is wrong, and once again, naturalism, skepticism, criticism, atheism, secularism has no answers for life's biggest questions. Now, I don't say all that to get out of answering this question from a Christian perspective, because the Christian has to answer this question just as much as anyone else has to answer this question. I did want to start, though, by noting that usually the Christians are kind of put in a place of attack where they are told, you don't have a good answer. And of course, that is a lie. We have great answers. In fact, I think we're the only ones with good answers concerning this problem of pain, evil, and suffering. But the skeptic once again gets out of answering the question through an ad hominem attack where they attack the person that they're debating or where, the, where they attack the other position instead of giving evidence for their own position. And that's what oftentimes happens here. The bottom line is if you are an atheist or a skeptic, you have no 
objective basis for morality. Some might say, yes, we do. Logic tells us what is right and wrong. Unfortunately, very intelligent people with lots of degrees and a good use of logic will come to radically different conclusions when it comes to moral issues. People using good logic, but maybe faulty assumptions, will come to incredibly bad decisions. Think about different topics that people come up with opposing concepts of good in our society right now. We could think of something like abortion, where different people using supposedly good thinking and logic come up with drastically different conclusions. In that case, I would say it's pretty bad logic that leads to the conclusion that killing babies is okay. But there are many similar situations where logic alone leaves us hanging. It does not give us objective moral answers. It does not give us an objective foundation for morality and how we should act. Logic alone doesn't do it. Neither do any other philosophical answers to the question of how we should live, this existential question that all worldviews must answer. So the atheist or the secularist has no objective standard for morality. Again, there's no objective moral lawgiver, hence there's no objective moral law. As a result of not having an answer to this question, the skeptic has no purpose, no hope, and no ultimate resolution for the problem of pain. It is a hopeless situation. Now, from a Christian perspective, we actually have hope, and that is some of what I'm going to share today. As I attempt to answer this question in a way that makes sense, where you can understand that truly, from the Christian worldview and perspective, we have good answers for the problem of pain, we have hope in pain and suffering, and we can recognize that there is a purpose in all of it. We can have confidence in what the future holds, based on the security that we have within that Christian worldview. As I begin sharing some of these answers, I know that they might seem very theoretical to you if you are going through a time of deep pain yourself. Sometimes these answers might seem very, very, very irrelevant when you're in the middle of pain. And if you're there, and I'll close the show saying this as well in a few minutes, but if you're there, I want you to know that there's hope for you that transcends just theoretical answers. And that hope is found in relationship with Jesus Christ himself. So getting into some of those answers, again, the criticism that the skeptic charges the Christian with is if God is all good and all powerful, why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? And it seems like a valid criticism. I guess that criticism, though, hinges on the assumption that if God were all powerful and all good, he would stop all evil because that was his purpose. In reality, we see something quite different. In reality, we see that God has given us free will to make decisions. This doesn't negate God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty alone does not stop all evil human actions. But it does prevent those evil human actions from derailing his ultimate goal. So God is sovereign 
And he does not allow man's actions to derail the ultimate goal for the universe and for all of history, which is culminated in Jesus Christ and human beings coming to him. But he does allow humans freedom in that context to do terrible things, to sin. Again, this is the whole emphasis of the gospel that we need a savior. Each one of us has sinned. We've gone against God's will with our own free will, done things that were far outside of what he desired. We've not loved our neighbor as ourself. We've not loved God more than anything else with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength as he desires. And because of that, we are separated from him. Our sin and selfishness separate us from God. Now, that sin and selfishness that separate us from God can be redeemed in the sense that we can come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord by putting our trust and faith in him, receiving his gift of forgiveness and salvation, which he accomplished by dying on the cross, taking all of our sin on himself. And the Bible literally says that he nailed our sin to the cross, that it's there, it's gone for anyone that has put their trust in him. So our own free will for every single one of us has gone against God's will. We have rebelled against God. Some of us in smaller ways than others, but all of us have ultimately rebelled against God. And that at its core is the reason that we see so much pain and suffering in this world. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM here in Durango and KDUR.org online. I'm excited that you're listening this morning. We're talking about a pretty intense subject, the problem of pain, as it relates to the tragedy in Aurora this week. Again, if you haven't heard, James Holmes killed numerous people at a Batman movie in Aurora. Tragic situation. Our heart and our prayers go out to the families of all those victims that are now mourning the loss of their loved ones. We are praying for you this morning, and we hope and trust that you'll find peace, comfort, and joy in Jesus Christ as you go through this hard time. We're talking about the problem of pain this morning that is so often leveled against the Christian, which holds no water. We talked about how the atheist, the secularist, the skeptic, and critic have no answers themselves for the problem of evil, pain, and suffering in the world. We then went on to discuss how at the most basic level, pain and suffering are a result of the free will that humans have, that God has allowed us to have, where we make our own decisions to rebel against his will. This is the human condition, selfishly contradicting God's will for our lives. We then point the finger and say, how could somebody else do something so bad? Each one of us realizing that we've hated people, and we've thought wrong of people, and we've talked wrong of people. So even though those things might be smaller than what James Holmes did, they are evil nonetheless. So the problem of evil starts right inside my own heart. I'm reminded of what G.K. Chesterton replied in an essay contest in London, where he won the essay contest about what is the problem with society by answering in two words, I am. He realized that my own evil heart is what's wrong with society. In fact, the Bible tells us that in the book of Jeremiah, that our hearts are desperately evil. So inside the human heart, 
the human heart that has free will, that rebels against God, we find evil, not good. I quote it so often, you're probably sick of hearing him, but Malcolm Muggridge stated, Human depravity is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, while at the same time the most intellectually resisted fact. Human beings have in themselves this incredible capacity for evil. So, why is there pain, suffering, and evil in the world? Ultimately, there's pain, suffering, and evil because human beings have a free will that they can exercise in rebellion to God's will, doing terrible things to themselves and others. That doesn't account for all pain and suffering in the world because we do have the pain and suffering caused by natural tragedies and natural phenomena, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, things like that. From a Christian perspective, those are also a product of human sin. We find in the book of Romans in chapter 5 that death entered the world through Adam's sin. And that correspondingly, a couple chapters later, we're told that the whole world is in bondage to decay. It's under a curse because of man's sin. So you could also make the argument that all the natural tragedies that we see around the world are a cause or a result, maybe indirectly, of human sin. So we see in all these situations a reason for the pain, suffering, and evil that we see around us. Not only is the human person capable of evil, but the Bible tells us about the reality that there is a spiritual being named Satan who is a cause of so much of the pain, evil, and suffering in this world as well. So we see a lot of different reasons for the pain, suffering, and evil that we observe in our world. So the critic would then ask, so where did evil come from? Did it come from God? Did God create evil? To which there's another good answer. The Christian does not believe that evil is something that was created by God, but rather that evil is whatever fails to line up with God's character. In fact, the word sin in the Greek literally means to miss the mark or to miss the target. And evil is, in essence, when human beings fail to match up with who God is. When human beings fail to measure up to the standard of goodness that is found in God. That is what evil is. Just like darkness is the absence of light, so evil is the absence of God's goodness. So it's not necessarily a quantity that he created, but rather it is the result of human beings and spiritual beings choosing to do their own thing rather than his. It is the result of sin. God, again, is all-powerful and he is all-good. Those two features of his deity don't contradict each other or him or the reality of evil in this world, but rather those features of his character and nature can give us hope when we face pain, suffering, and evil. See, not only does the Christian have good answers for the existence and cause of pain, suffering, and evil, but the Christian also has hope during the process of pain, suffering, and evil. We know that God is all good, and he is all powerful, and he is able to right all wrongs. He is able to use all pain, suffering, and evil, and to turn that around for my good. Even if he didn't cause the pain, suffering, and evil in the first place, he is, a late, he is able to bring good 
out of it. He is able to use it for my good and for your good and for the good of those impacted by it. I want to tell you an analogy that I heard many years ago. And this analogy has helped me tremendously as I've thought about this issue. When we look at a tapestry, a woven tapestry, we oftentimes see a beautiful picture from the front, but from the back it looks like chaos. String and yarn tied off in all, sort of, in all sorts of different directions, and knots here and knots there, and frays here and frays there. It looks like a complete mess. In reality, though, the issue is our perspective. When we look at the tapestry from the front, we see a beautiful masterpiece. When we look at it from the back, we see an incredible mess. The same thing can be said of our perspective on pain, evil, and suffering here on this planet. When I am looking at all these events from my finite human perspective on this planet, I fail to recognize the end goal that God has for all of humanity. And I come to a conclusion wrongly that God must not be all-powerful or all-loving. In reality, I can recognize that I, from this perspective, am unable to fully understand all that God is doing. And I know that God is able to make all things right. Romans 8.28 tells us that God is able to work all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we know that it's not God that causes all these evil things to happen. It's evil human beings exercising their own free will. But God is sovereign, and our own free will does not limit his sovereignty. What happens is that God, in his all-powerful goodness, is able to take the effects of those evil decisions and work them around according to his purpose for good, for all those that love him. So that's my encouragement to you this morning, is that you can find hope in Jesus Christ, and he can work whatever painful situations you've been through around for your good. He can work those things around to bring you to a place where you can look back realizing that there was a purpose in it all. See, God uses pain and suffering to get our attention. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A lot of times these situations force us out of our comfort zones. They force us out of our natural perspective of thinking only about ourselves. These issues force us to think about life's biggest questions. And by doing that, we are forced to come to a place of evaluating what we believe and how those beliefs, how that worldview lines up with reality. God allows pain, suffering, and evil that are perpetrated by human beings in their own free will. They're allowed by God to do these things in a way that will get all of our attention, showing us that, yes, we all need a Savior. We all desperately need Jesus Christ. Before I close the show out this morning, I want to read you a quote from Steve Turner, who is a British journalist. And this quote is 
often quoted by Ravi Zacharias. And it's one of my favorite quotes. Every time I hear it, I am amazed by how profound a quote it is. It is initially somewhat sarcastic, but it concludes with an unbelievably pertinent realization. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Turner writes, We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe that everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone, to the best of your definition of hurt, to the best of your definition of knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better despite the evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something to horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good moral teacher, although we think his good morals were really bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If death isn't the end and the dead have lied, then it is compulsory heaven for all, except maybe Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is normal and what's normal is good. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that's right for him, and that reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. He then concludes this somewhat sarcastic statement with this summary. If chance be the father of all flesh, which is what the naturalist states, then disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, youths go looting, bomb blasts school, it is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. Again, for the naturalist, if chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, youths go looting, bomb blast school, it is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. We are faced yet again with the reality that outside of Christ, there are no answers. Naturalism leaves us empty yet again. Inside Christ, the problem of pain becomes not a problem at all. We understand the cause of pain. We understand the reason for pain, evil, and suffering. And we realize that those things don't contradict God's sovereignty or goodness. But that we can rest assured that in his sovereignty and goodness, he will use all the effects of man's sin for a purpose, bringing them back around for our good. And that gives the Christian a hope and a sense of security and confidence in the midst of pain. No matter where you're at today, I want to encourage you that there, that there is hope in Jesus Christ, even in the middle of pain. Draw near to him. Put your confidence and hope in him and let him comfort you with himself. I shared briefly beforehand that Jesus leaves his hands outstretched to you this morning saying, come to me wherever you're at. No matter who you are, come to me. Simply put your trust in him this morning. 
asking him to forgive you and come into your life, and he really, really will. If you'd like to look more into this topic, I would encourage you to read The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis or Randy Alcorn's book, If God is Good. Both of those are great resources considering the problem of pain. Once again, we realize the only good answers are in Jesus Christ. And that's my hope that you'll find him this morning. Please join us for church this morning at the River Church. The River Church meets at 860 Plymouth Drive, right off of Florida Road in Durango, and they'll be meeting at 1045 a.m. Again, the River Church at 860 Plymouth Drive, right off of Florida in Durango at 1045 a.m. I hope you'll give them a shot. Also, go to thegodsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com for all of our previous shows. And let us know what you think about all that we're talking about. Before we close, I want to ask you to continue praying for those who lost loved ones in Aurora this week. And I want you to know that we will be doing the same. An open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And that's my hope that you'll find him this morning. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.